Let's take our Bibles this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. His are the kingdom, the crown, and the throne. Everybody's fighting for land, fighting for titles and crowns and followers and likes. And it all belongs to Jesus Christ. And he is coming to take all of that unto himself. Aren't you glad of that? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. My message today is entitled, Help Those Women. Help those women. That's what the Lord said here in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin, though, reading, if you would, with me in the first verse, Philippians chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, look around. And there's some folks that would be willing to share with you. And uh, if, you're, if you have a Bible, look around to see if there's anybody that needs to share with you. Uh, Lord willing, we get some pew Bibles here pretty soon. And looking forward to that. If you're new to the Bible, or if you're new to church, or you're new to Christianity, the most important thing any Christian has is the Bible. It's based on the words of God. And not only based on it, it is the words of God. And there's nothing that any Christian, this is something that can make you feel better. There's nothing any Christian knows that's not revealed in the Bible. Nothing that we know about God unless it's revealed in the Bible. Everything God wanted us to know, he put in a book. How kind is that? You don't have to worry about what so-and-so says, what special theological seminary says. He's wrote it, he, if he wrote it down, he wants you to know, and you can learn it. And you can understand the Bible. It takes time. There's no man alive, ever has been, who understands everything in the Bible. But that's okay, because we have an eternity to get to know God and His Word. So let's start this morning by looking at Philippians chapter 4. Are you ready? It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, therefore... Because of all of the examples we've seen of Timotheus, we've seen Epaphroditus, we've seen the Apostle Paul, but we've seen the ultimate example in chapter 2 of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And not only what he has done for us on the cross in his burial and resurrection, but what he has promised that he is going to do for us. When we see him, he is going to change our vile body that it may be likened to his glorious body according to chapter 3 verse 21. Because of that, he says, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, it's interesting in chapters 1, 2, and 3, it seems a little bit, if you would excuse it, highfalutin. I mean, he's flying high, heavenly places. He's talking about what Jesus Christ has done, how he came from the lofty abode of heaven, came all the way to this earth. But then in chapter 4, he starts getting down to the nitty-gritty. And the truth is, it's the pattern that God used for the Apostle Paul in all of his epistles. Doctrine and then instruction in life. It goes from who God is and who Jesus is, and then it goes to who we are supposed to be. Right? So what, what, the, scripture, what the Scripture tells us over and over again is this concept we are to be who we are. We are supposed to be who we are. We're not trying to become something. We already are something in Christ. And so we are supposed to be who we are. Well, what should we be? Well, we should, number one, we should be steadfast. We should stand fast in the Lord. Number two, verse two, he says, I beseech Yodius and beseech Sentiki that they, these two women, be of the same mind in the Lord. We're supposed to be who we are. 
Paul asked the question in Corinthians, is Christ divided? Do you think Jesus has arguments with himself? Then neither should you and another believer. Be of the same mind in the Lord. If both women are thinking about the Lord, they're going to think alike. And then verse 3 is our text this morning. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Who is this? No one knows. Some say Epaphroditus, maybe an unnamed believer in the church. Most likely Epaphroditus, in my opinion, because he's the one that carries this epistle. So Paul is directly addressing whoever this is. And he says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Notice here several things. He says, I entreat thee, just as he besought Euodius and Syntyche. Somebody said, didn't know exactly how to pronounce it. And said, I beseech Odius and soon touchy. That kind of fits doesn't it, as humans? But notice, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women. Now, some people think, well, this has got to be talking about these two women who are on opposite pages. Somebody needs to step in and be that guide and mediator. Maybe that's it. Could be. I would, I would believe it a little bit more if it said help these women, but he said help those women. And then he says these women labored with me in the gospel, but they didn't labor just with me. They labored with Clement also. Who is that? Well, we don't really know. Don't really know. He's, his name is in the Bible, but we don't know who he was or what he did. But we know one thing. He labored with these women in the gospel. And these women also labored with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Help those women. You know, at the time of this writing, the culture was not very kind to women. Back in those days, uh, the Romans produced a lot of erotic literature, pornographic artwork, writings. Um, why? Mankind has always been the same. Back then, brothels and prostitutes were everywhere in the culture. A lot of Latin slang was directed towards women. And uh, interestingly enough, that, that they worshipped goddesses, but actual women were dehumanized. They were objectified. They were treated as nothing more than possessions. There were some exceptions, of course. There were women who owned businesses and owned property and so forth. But to a large degree, women were demeaned. And it didn't really change a lot in the sense of how women were treated. There was a little less of the, uh, a lot less, I should say, in Israel of the sexualizing uh, emphasis. But there was still a demeaning character in the treatment of Israel towards women in the time of Christ. In fact, there was a, a, a prayer that was often uttered by Jewish men, specifically rabbis, and it said something like this, Praised be God that he has not created me a Gentile. Praised be God that he has not created me a woman. Praised be God that he has not created me an ignorant person. Wow. To a Jew, a Gentile was just like a dog. 
And so this man, this, gent, this rabbi is praying and saying, God, I'm so thankful that if I, have, if I have nothing else to be thankful for, I'm glad I'm not a woman. Women in that time in Israel, in the, in the area uh, called Palestine by the Romans, they were, the women were subjected to a lot of different rejections. They were not counted among the minimum number of Jews necessary to have a synagogue. You had to have 10 Jews in order to have a synagogue, and uh, women couldn't be counted in that number. Uh, they had no witness. Their, their witness had no validity when they went to the courts. Um, they said, the words of the Torah will be destroyed in the fire sooner than taught to women. Now, you understand, this is not what God said, but this is what uh, rabbis who came up with their own ideas about God. These are the religious people in Israel that took the word of God and twisted it. Often they were segregated from the rest of society. They were shut up in their houses. That's the perspective, and we could, we could, you could trace that all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The fall of man came with the degradation of women. But you know, God's perspective on women is different. God said, help them. Help them. I want you to take your Bibles to the book of John. John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I want you to see where Jesus purposely confronted similar attitudes that he saw hidden in his disciples. He not only broke with rabbinical tradition to speak with this woman that we're going to see, but he actually began to discuss theology with her. Look at Romans, uh, I'm sorry, John chapter 4, verse 5. John chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. He's out of bounds. He's in Samaria. You know, the disciples are kind of feeling like a cat on a hot tin roof. What are we doing here? They went on to get something. They went to McDonald's, I think. But Jesus is by himself. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. He's talking to a woman, not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. Verse 8 tells us, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Jew... Askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And he goes on to talk about, he'll give her water, and if she'll drink it, she'll never thirst again. Let me stop just for a moment and say, What would it be like to know you're going to heaven 100% sure? What would that be like? Would that change what goes through your head when you lie down at night? Would that change what comes into your mind in the, in the middle of the prettiest day, a fear that maybe I'm not going to make it? You know what Jesus said? If you would ask me, I would give it to you. Eternal life. What is that? That's the life that means you'll never die spiritually. You'll be alive for eternity. Do you have that kind of life? 
Do you know 100% sure that you're going to heaven? I didn't say, do you know about the gospel? Everybody knows about the gospel in America, almost anybody. Now, there's a lot that don't, but, but most people know about Jesus came, he died, and so forth. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a personal confrontation with Jesus like this woman did at the well? I'm not saying, do you know what Jesus did for the world? Do you know what Jesus did for you? Do you remember when you trusted him to take you to heaven without any works on your part? You see, that's a heavy, heavy thing to say to to someone, especially someone that's religious, because we always think, well, I could do better. I don't know if you're like me. Coming through Thanksgiving, you know, you kind of relax, you're eating more, maybe you're sitting around more, you're not as busy. And sometimes that guilt can come in, like, I got to get, and I don't know about you, we got to work out. When I say we, I mean me. We got to get to the gym. We, I've got to do, I got to stop eating so much sugar, so many carbs. I got to, you feel that guilt, right? You know, spiritually, it can be the same way. Because it's not just, you know, sugar and, and sitting around. It's sin that creeps in. And the sin can make you think, wait a minute, I did that. I got to do something good to pay for that. When you start feeling guilt for your sin, and then you say, I'm going to make up for it. You don't understand what Jesus said, that eternal life is a gift. If you don't feel unworthy of salvation, you're not saved. You have to feel unworthy in order to come and ask God to save you. You see, what happens with religion is that people say, well, I know I'm not the, I'm not the best person in the world, but I have done some things. I have been pretty good. You know what we ought to be able to say? Hey, I am nothing except a sinner who's been saved by his grace. Not by my works. Not by re-tightening down the lug bolts. Not by saying, I'm tired of being a slob. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm working out. I'm eating nothing but greens. And I'm just going to listen to meditation apps. And I'm going to be a better person. Hey, go for it. But you'll never earn salvation because salvation is much more wonderful than anything that man can produce. It is divine in origin. It is God made and it is given as a gift. And if you haven't ever stood before God and say, God, I am unworthy of what you have done in your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection. I don't deserve it, but I thank you and I accept what you have done on my behalf. You're the reason that I, that you have, I'm the reason that you had to go to the cross. It was my sin that sent you there. And I'm thankful for not only paying for that, but that you rose from the dead proving that it was paid. If you've never done that, then you're going to live for the rest of your life with a question mark in the back. Am I worthy? I'm not worthy. I've got to try harder. Well, I can, I'm happy to tell you this. Anytime I feel guilty over my sin, anytime I feel worthy, unworthy, which is fairly often, and it's probably not as often as I should, I don't say, oh, idiot, you know better than this. I don't talk to myself that way. I fall on my knees and I say, God, thank you for Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. I've accepted what he's done. And as a result, I've been born again. I'm in the family of God, not because of how awesome I am. The only reason why I had to be born again was because I'm not awesome. But Jesus Christ saved me. 
And what God does, he does forever. He saved me and put me into his family. And so this woman here is sitting across from Jesus at the well. And the Bible says that she was a promiscuous woman. She had five husbands previously, and now she's living with a guy that's not her husband. And what did Jesus say? He said, you're never going to be happy drinking all that junk from the world. It'll never satisfy your thirst. But if you take me, I'll satisfy that longing you have. Jesus Christ can give you the water of life. And if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And so that's what Jesus here has done. Not just giving her attention. He's given her eternal life. You see how God has focused on these women? You know, when the, watch what happens here in chapter 4, verse 27. Chapter 4, verse 27. Upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? You know, a lot of their, their surprise came from this blatantly anti-woman culture that they've been raised in. Right? What did Jesus do? Jesus valued women. And he wanted women to be around him. And so he tells these believers in Philippi, and specifically this one man, well, we don't know that he's a man, but he, this true yoke fellow, most, more than likely Epaphroditus, he says, help those women. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you this morning about how we can help those women. Number one, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is an unusual message, but I'm telling you, it does no good to shout from the rooftops about how you love Jesus, and you go home to the women God's put in your life and treat them like dirt. You can't claim to be a solid Christian who wants to, 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 to see people saved and helped and, and, and show them love of God if you can't show the love of God to the women that God's put in your life. And that's where we are today. He said, help those women. They need some help. Well, yeah, they need some help because they're fighting. Well, maybe. I want to show you some reasons why they need, to be, they need some help and how you can help them. Number one, Genesis chapter one, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is verse 26, Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Wow, that's a lot of power. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Men and women are not synonymous. Their roles are not the same. But men and women are equal before God. How are they equal? Well, number one, they're both created in the image of God. They're set above the animal kingdom. Did you see that? In the image of God created he him. Well, what did the image of God look like? Male and female. Women are created in the image of God. You say, well, woman came out of the man. Good, you know your Bible. Where did the man come from? He was made in the image of God. 
You know what the Lord said? I'm going to take a rib from the man. I'm going to make that rib into a woman. You know that there was something about the man that did not have the complete image of God without the woman. So God created the woman and he said, male and female are the image of God. You know what that means? The Bible says that man and woman are not supposed to be without one another. In other words, they both need one another. There's a combination that God is intending. And every human bears the image of God in his or her particular gender. How do we bear the image of God? A man bears the image of God through his maleness. A woman bears the image of God through her femaleness, her femininity, his masculinity. The image of God and one's gender are supposed to be connected. You show the image of God, if you are a man, by being masculine. If you are a woman, you show the image of God by being feminine. And any alterations in that design that are cropping up perhaps in the collective minds this morning, where do they come from? They do not come from God and his word. They come from the devil who mocks and derides and seeks to destroy the distinctions that God has made. God does not want men to be women. God does not want women to be men. God wants men to be men and he wants women to be women. Now you say, well, what is that like? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's distinct. It ought to be distinct. There ought to be distinction. And if you argue, and you'll hear people today argue, well, what makes a man? Uh, you know, I have to wear a flannel shirt and carry an axe in order to be a man? Well, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> but no. There are many soft-spoken men who have ramrod backbones. There, there are many men, by the way, the best chefs in the world. You've heard. They're not women. They're men. It doesn't mean that if a man is a real man, he only likes the certain things that the speaker it likes. That's not what the scripture says. But I can promise you this. God does not intend to mix the genders. It's a foolish thing. There is no scientific evidence that you can choose your own gender. It's written in the DNA. It's very obvious. I thought, I thought we worshipped science in America. Apparently, science, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to this. Well, I really feel like I'm this. I would just be careful. When you start talking about choosing your gender, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa. Number one, I'm sorry for any pain that you've had in your life. I'm sure that you've gone through some things. But may I remind you, uh, you can't just decide that your vacuum cleaner is now a microwave. No matter how much you want it to be. The only way it's going to heat food is if it turns it nasty. It's going to be disgusting. Why? It was designed by a designer for a specific function. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that, that men and women are to complement one another biologically. And they are to be distinct. Both are created in the image of God. But they bear the image of God through their particular gender. Number two, men and women are equal in intellectual and spiritual understanding. This is a tough one for some of us to get. You think, well, well man obviously can know, knows the Bible better. Is that obvious? 
I certainly think that if a, if a man is called to minister the word of God to other people in vocational ministry, he certainly needs to know the Bible. But I can tell you this from personal experience. I don't think I know God better than my wife knows God. And by the way, why would you even consider that as something to be gained? It's like siblings talking, saying, well, I know dad better than you. It doesn't make that father any more a father to one sibling or the other. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If you really know your Bible, you're going to be good with people. That's what that means. If you really know, the more you know of Scripture, the more Christ-like you will be in your interactions with people. And it's not all just telling people the hard truth that they don't want to hear. Speaking the truth in love. Sometimes that's harder to do than telling people off. Men and women are equal in intellectual and spiritual understanding. They have different connections, with different ways of thinking about things, no doubt. Here's another one. Both have an eternal soul capable of communicating with God. Number four, men and women both need salvation because of the fall. I want you to take your Bibles and go to Galatians, right over there close to the book of Philippians where we were. Men and women both need salvation because of the fall. Let me ask you this. you think they have a male section in hell? Female section? From what I can understand in Scripture, hell is a place where no one is allied. Everyone is divided. Everyone hates everyone else. They're all disconnected. They're all fighting. They all hate why. That is the ultimate goal of Satan is to push people apart. And to say, I don't want anyone else around me. You know what Jesus does? He draws us together. Draws us together, not ignoring the truth. The only way you can truly be unified is by the truth. The truth is what pulls people together. Look what he says in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one, where? In Christ Jesus. There's no distinction in Christ between man and woman. He's saying there's no value difference. He's not saying, I'm sorry, I misquoted what I wrote down here. He's not saying there's no distinction between men and women, but in Christ there is no inequality. Notice, Jew or Greek. That's an obvious one. The Greeks are Gentile dogs. We know they're not as good as the Jews. Jesus said, no, in Christ, there's no difference in value. Well, what about slaves and masters? No, in Christ, bond or free are the same. Male or female, which in the Philippian culture, it's obvious that women are stupid. They're ignorant. Everybody knows this. This is known. By the way, you ever heard the statement, might makes right? Do you ever realize why in, the, in times past, in, the, in these cultures, where why it seems that women were so demeaned? Because Scripture calls them the weaker vessel. They were bullied, in many cases, into being called ignorant, stupid, and worthless. Why? They weren't as strong as the men. Might makes right. Maybe some of you have been in situations like that. You felt completely controlled physically, mentally, psychologically, dominated 
Because you're dominated, you say, well, well, uh, I guess that's what's right. And some would say, you know what? That's not right. Women should be in charge. I'm sick and tired of men saying they're so much better. Women are just as good as men. In fact, women are better than men. Hold on a second. Just a timeout. Just think about this. If men are so degrading and weird and bad and disgusting, why do you keep comparing yourself to them? You follow what I'm saying? Okay, it, we're not talking about who is better. You see, God has made man and woman, and he's made them distinct. And he says they both have value because I made them both. By the way, did you know Adam didn't make his wife? He had nothing to do with the making of Eve. In fact, God does his best work when Adam is asleep. God's able to finally get some work done because he went to sleep. Take the rib. And God made. Yes, you know what the etymological uh, background of the of woman is? It's literally a man with a womb. God said, you want to talk about gender equality? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a part out of a man, and I'm going to make her into a woman. Now, who can do that? Only God can do that. Mankind likes to pretend like he's a creator, and he can mix the genders. No, God says, I separate, and what I have called a woman, don't you call a man, and vice versa. I've separated those things, but they're equal in my eyes. I, they have value. And then when you come to Jesus Christ, you don't walk up with your beer belly and say, well, I'm used to getting my way. You surrender whatever makes you a masculine man when you become a Christian. Why? Because it was God that created the difference in gender to begin with. You don't surrender your masculinity physically, but in Christ, you don't think that you're going to be able to crack the whip and get things done. You're not going to be able to tough it out. You don't do it in your own strength. You do it in his strength. What would, pre what would present you as an awesome woman to the world is not even considered in the area of Christianity. Why? It's not about what you can do as a female. It's about what Christ has done for you and what he can do through you. It's amazing how God fixes all of this gender uh, fluidity. He fixes it all. In fact... <laughs> There's more unity here than any person who is a transgender could ever imagine. Why? It is not your gender identity that is number one as far as God's concerned. He said, yes, I made you a male, I made you a female, but when you come to me, you don't come as anything other than a sinner. You don't offer any great characteristics a man can't offer his strength and his dominance. A woman can't offer her soft approach and kindness and compassion and love. I thank God for both of those characteristics. But when we come to the cross, we come with empty hands. And we say, Lord, I come to you as having nothing, and I find in you all things. Listen, ladies, your identity is because God made you. Not because you're cleaner than men. Not because you're more compassionate than men. Man is not the one who sets your identity. And you should not derive your identity from man. Neither should woman, a man derive his identity from what a woman thinks about him. Single guys struggle with this. Sometimes. Because they think, well, I guess nobody likes me, so I guess I'm not worth anything. But if a woman liked me, 
then I would be worth something. No, 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 no. No human can give your identity. Your identity comes from God himself. And if you're a child of God, your identity comes from being in the family of God. You're one in Christ Jesus. Help these women. How? By valuing them as God values them. You see, valuing women is being Christ-like. The fact that a woman is made in the image of God, it means I should, I should, I'm called to a higher calling than just, okay, well, I won't cut her down. I won't call her names. I won't be condescending. Calls us to a higher identity. To see that woman as a daughter of God. To recognize that she has value. Is everybody okay this morning? Awful quiet in here. Are you with me? Okay, men, listen. Would your wife let you say amen this morning? My wife is, is, is a, a, a cre- creation of God. How could I dishonor her? You see, there are very few Christians that think about giving respect as a command or, or as a spiritual discipline. You know what they're interested in? You know what people are obsessed with? Being respected. You, hey, you ain't, no, no, nobody talks about me that way. I don't let nothing go. You know what you're obsessed with? You're obsessed with people respecting you. How often are you thinking about how you should be giving respect to other people. Well, if my wife respected me, we could finally get somewhere in our marriage. Do you respect her? Do you, have, do you value her as a child of God? When you're about to get into it, do you think about the fact that this woman is saved? She's born again? He said, help those women. Back to Philippians chapter 4. Let's look at verse number 3. Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. He said, I treat thee also. He's asking. True yoke fellow. Yoke fellow. Verse 3. Yoke fellow. Hmm. He's in the yoke. He's reminding him here of how this is a group effort. This is a team effort. Yoke fellow. That's that's someone who is in the same yoke with you, who fellowships in the same yoke. You're tied in together. Well, I'm a lone ranger. I don't want to be tied into nobody. I was born free. I do my own thing. I go wherever I want to go. Okay, that's great. Happy for you. But you can't be very godly if you're not willing to be yoked up with another believer. You cannot miss it in the Bible. You can argue about it. You can stand on your own hind feet and say, you know, I'm my own man. It's me in the book. But if you're not willing to be a yoke fellow with someone else, you know what that means? When he goes, I go. If he don't go, I don't go. You feel tied in your marriage? Do you feel, do you feel like you're kind of locked in? Like this is, you know, they call it the old ball and chain. You know, it's intentional. God intends you to be a fellow laborer. Why? 
where do we get this idea? Now, forgive me. There may become a little sarcasm out of here. This idea that we love Jesus and how wonderful he is and how we just want to serve him. And we just want to, I don't care about anybody else, but I want to be just like the son of God who gave his life for everyone else. The son of God who humbled himself and became a servant and washed the dirty feet of disciples who didn't even believe that he was the son, that he was going to rise again. Somehow or other, we think, I want to be Christ-like, but I just don't want to care about the people like Jesus did. I just want to, I want to get with God by myself, and I want to have this time with God, and you should have time with God by yourself. And you should be filled with the Spirit, i.e., filled with the words of God. You should be excited about them. You should have your heart moved by them. But if that somehow causes you to stiff arm, to give somebody the Heisman, because you don't want to be around them, you're not very godly. You're not very Christ-like. You see, this is what happens. Jesus had to humble himself to come down. Why? Because people stink. People are irritating. People call our omnipotence into question by their very presence. We're not as great as we think we are when we get around people who know us. I don't mind giving out the gospel. I went through the drive-thru and I gave that woman a tract. Well, good. How about giving your wife a little bit of the kindness and love of Jesus Christ? See what I'm saying? It's so much easier for me to think about Jesus and and for me, for me. But if I'm going to be Christ-like, I'm going to be thinking about other people. I'm going to be thinking about these women that need some help. Notice he said here, True yoke fellow. If you're really in the yoke with someone like the Apostle Paul, you have a concern to help those women. Help them by recognizing their labor in the gospel. He said, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Notice he says, she labored. And we think about a woman's labor. And no doubt, it's one of the most difficult times of her life. Where she goes, as is commonly said, truthfully, to the jaws of death to deliver a child. Laboring. And in a sense, that's what this woman is doing too. She's helping to birth people into the kingdom of God. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Are you involved in seeing people saved? How can you be involved? There's many ways, and we'll see some here in a moment. But I want you to think about that. He he did say, help those women which labored with me. Help them. Not just help women in general. Anywhere you go, hold up the door, which you should do. I was taught to do that. I think it's a good thing to do. You should, and I especially like it when women don't want me to hold the door for them. I really enjoy holding the door for them. Yes, I'm from the 1940s. Right? Doesn't bother me a bit. But I tell you what, it's, it, this goes beyond, ladies, just, just helping women in general. Hey, I think you should help carry. If you see a woman carrying something heavy, you should say, hey, let me help you carry that. I think you should do that. Amen? Guys, this is an easy place to say amen. You do this already, right? If there's, if someone is, 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 is there's a line or something, let the lady go. Ladies first, right? But it used to be in our culture. I think it should still be there. And I think you and I have responsibility to keep. I think you should open the door for your wife. I think you should try to treat your wife and your daughters with, with kindness and, 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 and show them what, what you believe a man, how a man should treat a woman. 
But notice he said, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. I want you to see here, this, this lady, uh, from the beginning, they're designed for a specific purpose. Their design is to support and help. It doesn't say that they preached. It doesn't say that they were a pastor. You, you will search and you will get very, very tired eyes if you search in the Bible for a woman who had a position of spiritual leadership in the church. You say, well, I just think that's demeaning. No, it's not demeaning. I think it's demeaning to consider that a woman should be the same as a man. That demeans a woman. Women are separate. Women are different. They're unique. They're special in God's eyes. I want you to take your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're, we're going to come in on a landing here. But, but, but before we do this, this, we're going to look at this passage. And we're going to look at one more passage in the book of Acts. And that'll be the last one. Look at the 1 Timothy chapter 2. But he said, these are fellow laborers. They've labored with me in the gospel. Fellow laborers. Fellow workers. But notice he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Whoa. All right. Now we see what you really think of women. No, no. This is what, this is what the Lord said. This is not what I said. Let the, let the women learn in silence with all And then in verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Women are not allowed to instruct the body of believers in the things of God. Older women are instructed to teach the younger women. But when the men and the women are together, because of the headship, God said, I want the men to instruct. And people, I mean, they do all kinds. They put Neo in the Matrix to shame, bending all over the place, trying to figure out how to get around this in the Bible. Let's just say, let's just leave the words of God as they stand. Okay? And deal with it. Christianity is not all easy. Some of it's difficult to think through. If you are ERA, equal rights, you know, if you're uh, uh, all excited about doing your own thing and I'm going to be as good as a man, you're going to have some tough pills to swallow. Hey, the Christian life is about being on a cross, dying. It's not about you getting your jollies. It's not about me getting what I want. It's about Jesus Christ getting what he wants. And this is what he says about women teaching and preaching in the church. You say, what about preachers? I know some preachers. Listen, Joyce Byer could preach me under the table any day. There's no question about that. But she's not doing the will of God according to the Bible. She's not. not. She could not open her Bible and show a precedent or command or even an allowance for preaching to a group of believers. There's, no, there's nothing in the Bible. You say, well, that's right, because you think women, men are the only ones that know the Bible. And I didn't say that. Remember, we started out by talking about how God values women and how he created women in his own image. What are we talking? Why, are we, why is this a Sunday morning service? Have you noticed that people don't understand the concept, the very basic concept of gender distinction in America? What's worse is God's people don't even understand it. And ladies, if you come to church with a chip on your shoulder, that's the heaviest load in the world to carry. Constantly looking for people who are degrading you and not holding you in high respect. Could it be that in some cases, and I thank God for the women of this church, I don't have any hint whatsoever, so I don't even know who I'm preaching to. Somebody online, probably. 
But if any, anybody that, 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 that comes into church and says, well, I think I should be able to. Listen, I'm just telling you, you've got to come with Bible if you're going to be Christ-like. You've got to have Bible to back it up. You can't just make it up. Well, the culture, well, we, no, we don't follow the culture. Have you noticed it's not worth following? We follow the Bible, what the Bible says. And so there is a distinction in these roles. But he said, help those women. Why? They were right next to me while I was laboring in the gospel. They were right there doing what? They were helping him. You see, what Paul's saying here is help the helpers. They were created originally to be help meets. Created to help. And now Paul said, I want you to help the helpers. You see, sometimes as men, we say, bring me a sandwich. That's how you can help me. I thank God for a good woman who makes a great sandwich. And I don't mind asking her to make me a sandwich. But there are times when I realize, you know what? This marriage, this home, my existence is not all about people serving me. She's got some needs. There there are some things that I can help her with. Hey, listen, even those that are not, you're not married. Help those women which labored with me. We don't know this, the, 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 the marital scenario, the marital situation of these women. We don't know. But we know that we can help. Why? Women have burdens. Women feel things very deeply. Women probably have more suffering than man. We've often said it. If, if, man, if men had to give birth, there would be no children. It's not worth it. I'm alive. I don't know how, but I'm alive. I don't care about anybody else. Women know what they're getting into. They know the pain that they're going to go through. And in some cases, they do it over and over and over again. Why? Because God's given them a special ability to nurture and to care. And they take that little tiny human, and yes, it's a human, inside and outside the womb. And they care for that human, and they nurture it, and they build it up. I'm a recipient of a woman who cared and loved. I stand here before you because of someone who was willing to go through very difficult suffering. You know what we should do? You know the the reason why the deacons in Acts chapter 6 were installed? Because somebody needed to help those women. You say, well, I want to go out in the street and preach. Well, good, you should do that. And you should also help those women. Well, that's kind of fruity. No. You're not much of a man if you can't help a woman. You're not much of a husband if you can't help your wife. You're not much of a brother if you can't help your sister. Boy, now that's preaching right there. Hey, listen, get off, get off your high horse of, well, I'll start helping her when she starts respecting me. What if Jesus said that on the, on the throne? Well, I'll come down there and save them when they start showing me the love. And While we were enemies, Christ died for us. And by the way, the love that God offered on the cross, he still offers today. Whether God loved the sinner or loves the sinner is immaterial because the cross stands as a wide open invitation to every man, woman, boy, or girl in the universe. You know what God says? If you're going to follow me, you're going to be concerned about others because I'm concerned about others. Help those women. Why? They labored. I want you to take your Bibles to one final place, Acts chapter 16. 
And we think about Iodius and Syntyche there in Philippians, but he did say, help which labored with me in the gospel. And here is where we see a woman actually in ministry with the Apostle Paul in the city of Philippi. Chapter 16, verse 9, A vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. A man or woman? 16.9, a man or a woman? It's a man. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly, gather, assuredly gathering the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, the next day to Neapolis. And it's cool if you see the trajectory. It is a straight course over there. In fact, someone has pointed out that it actually goes straight through these towns, through Philippi, and follow that trajectory. It actually goes through England. It's pretty cool. From thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. Notice this is in Philippi. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Now pause for a moment and think this. We're going to go a little bit over time. I know, it's, I know we're going over time this morning, so forgive me. Um, we're all feeling a little sluggish after Thanksgiving, so that's probably the, the problem for that. That's the reason. But I, but I want you to think about this. Paul had a vision. Who appeared to him in a vision, man or woman? Man. What's Paul thinking? I need to get over there and tell that man the gospel. God's told me that I'm going to go over there and do that. So here he goes. Verse number 13. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. It was the habit. It was the custom. It's what people did. They went to the riverside and prayed. And we sat down, but only women were there, so we didn't talk to them. Because I saw a man in my vision, and I don't know about you, God needs some men that will stand up. You know, do you realize that the gospel trajectory would have been different if we read it that way? Notice what he did. He sat down, sat down. He didn't stand with a pulpit over top of their head. He sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. He came down where they were. He didn't put himself above. He came down. It's a very Christ-like thing to do. To meet people where they are, not where they should be. Well, I'll tell you, when I was growing up, people used to be, fear God. They don't anymore. When I was coming up, we used to preach the gospel on the streets and people would flock. They don't anymore. You know what you need to do? You need to yell at them even more. Because they're all wicked as hell. They all are going to burn. You know what you need to do? Go where they are. Hey, listen, Christian, if somebody's going to get saved in Toledo, people like you and I are going to have to go where they are and talk to them and not talk like this and loud and demonstrative. Hey, Toledoans are reserved. They're quiet. What do they do? They go to work. They go out to eat. They go home. That's all they do. We got to figure out a way to meet them where they are. Hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with preaching on the street. We do it and it's awesome. There's nothing like it. But I'm telling you, if that keeps you from meeting people where they are, you're doing it wrong. You got to get in their life. You got to sit down where they are. Well, I'm not going to compromise. Okay, you're still going to be waiting on the Macedonian man. When he comes up to me, I'll know that's God. But what about these women? You know what's interesting about Lydia? 
She was already worshiping God before Paul ever came along. She knew there was one true God. Look what it says there in Acts chapter 16. A certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia, a seller of purple. Uh Uh-oh, a businesswoman. Watch out for them women with their short haircuts and their business savvy. (laughs) Amen. You got to watch out for them women of the city of Thyatira. Here's something which worshipped God, heard us. She wasn't worshipping money business, friends, her house, her schedule, her relationships. She worshiped God, but she heard Paul. You know why she heard him? Because Paul Paul spoke to her. That's how she heard him. Who are the women in your life that you could speak to? Well, no one wants to hear. Could that possibly be because you haven't spoken to anyone? That's why you think no one wants to hear? Notice, she worshiped God and she heard us. And then, look at her heart. It was tender, whose heart the Lord opened. God didn't grab her heart and say, now listen to this, Lydia. No, she's already worshiping God. The preacher comes by, and as he spoke, her heart opened. You know who opens the heart's door? We do. We allow the Lord to open it. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll unlatch it, I'll open the door. God's way, there are people in this town that are waiting for you to speak the gospel to them. And God protect us from a Christian subculture that has our, all of our schedules set up to where we never have to come into contact with lost people. I'm going to say that one more time. God protect us from a Christian subculture in which we arrange our life in such a way that we never come into contact, contact with lost people. Sounds super spiritual, doesn't it? But it's wicked. God intends for us to be in contact with unsaved people. Now, I know we're going long, and that's the reason why you're not saying amen. You're afraid. If I say amen, he'll... But notice it says here, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. She was supportive. She listened, and she believed the gospel. You know, there's nothing that lifts a man's spirit more than a woman who believes what he says. Now, this was not the words of Paul. But even before she accepted Christ, she had a role of supporting. She had a role of listening and encouraging and attending. You see, women have a finer appreciation of the things of God oftentimes than men do. It was Anna, by the way, who first announced the coming of the Messiah. It was the women who believed when Jesus rose from the dead and came running and, say, and shared it. Notice then in verse 15, when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. She used her influence to help the saints. She used her influence. Women have influence. Who do they use it for? Do they use it for themselves? They can arrange their little kingdom just like they want it and keep everybody out. I'm thankful for a wife who loves to arrange our house. Looking forward to getting into that that house that's been rebuilt. Looking forward to that. It's a wonderful thing. But you know, we've got to think beyond that, don't we? We've got to think beyond our own little plans and desires and dreams. This woman said... 
you've helped me. I want to help you. She invited them in. And notice, Paul didn't like to owe any man anything. And so she had to turn on her convincer. She constrained him. She, this, this great apostle Paul who didn't need anybody, he paid his own way. He built tent, made tents. He didn't need anybody. But she said, oh, come on, Paul. Why? Women have influence. They know how to use it to get what they want. You know what God needs from you, ladies, who labor in the gospel? He wants you to use your influence to get what he wants, to please him. To use what God's given you to bring others to Jesus Christ. We find that she goes through all of this hospitality and she brings them there and takes care of these people and refreshes the believers. And then Paul goes into a very difficult time, a very, a very suffering chapter here in 16 where he goes into the prison and there's an earthquake and they come out and the jailer says, come to my house. And they do. And then they say, get out of our town. He's like, no, we're not coming out. Tell the, tell the mayor to come and tell us himself and all this stuff. And man, you know, brandishing their pride and whatever, you know, they're bold and all that. And then when all that's done, look at verse number 40. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. The last time we hear of her. You see, this was a woman who labored in the gospel. She worshiped God. She was open-hearted. She was supportive. She was influential. She was hospitable. And Paul said, help those women which labored with me. And he said one final thing, whose names are in the book of life. Help those women by, by reminding them that their security is found in Jesus Christ. Your security is not found in your house. It's not found in your relationships or your children or even your spouse. It's not found in your job and in your place in the culture and how you're respected. no. Your security is in the fact that your name is written in heaven. Let me ask you this question in closing. Are you ready to help the women at God's place in your life? We preach oftentimes to the men. We preach oftentimes to the women. This morning's message is on helping women. How can we help them? Value them as God values them. Number two, recognize their unique contribution in the gospel. And number three, remind them that their identity is secure in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.